Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of Common Sense. It is, of course, talk radio. The energy crisis appears to have been abated for the time being, uh, according to the politicians, which means we're not going to run out of heating materials or CO2 to keep the beer flowing and the meat industry supplies in the supermarkets. But it's still a crisis as far as I'm concerned, because mostly prices are rising so fast that one and a half million households will now apparently be affected. There can be nothing worse than opening up the post and discover that the bill you were paying has now increased by 25%. And instead of paying 600 quid a year, you're now going to pay a thousand, and you have to take out a small mortgage to keep yourself in electricity for the next 12 months. Paul Scully, uh, the business minister, has been going on this morning on various shows talking about how the energy price cap is keeping prices down. Are you sure he's living in the real world? I'm not entirely sure. Yesterday, we brought you some consumer advice, and today, we want you to keep that advice coming, this time from your good selves. Tell us your stories. How much is your bill going up by? What have you done about it? And is there a special trick to getting it reduced? We'll be checking in with you, Switch, for some advice. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be finding out what on earth is going on in Australia, where the police are firing rubber bullets at their own citizens and arresting women and children just for going against the narrative. Helen Dale will be checking in with us. First up, though, we're joined by the independent and its chief political correspondent, John Rental, with a look at Boris Johnson's Kermit-inspired speech to the United Nations on why the world needs to grow up. Pretty good coming from him. The whole thing sounded like it was written by his wife, Carrie. So here's my question. Just how green is the Prime Minister? He's telling everyone else what to do to save the planet. What exactly is he doing? 0344 499 Trevor Kavanaugh's here too. The Sun columnist will explain just why so many of the eco-warriors from Insulate Britain are sitting down on the M25 and are such hypocrites after the news this morning that one of the protesters owns a property empire packed, apparently, with poor insulation. Donald McLeod's also here with news on a legal challenge being made up in Scotland on vaccine passports. And it's Thursday, so we're having a visit from Freddie Bulmer at the Wine Society. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
And now let me introduce you to a man who needs no introduction. He is, of course, John Rental. Uh, very good morning to you. Thank you for coming in. Good morning. Um, beautiful. Thank you. Uh, get, you gave me time to get my breath back. Uh, yes, beautiful morning out there. You've been on a Boris bike. Um, I was just I asking you whether they're as simple uh, as they look, because most of what Boris inspires it tends not to work quite as well as he says it will. Uh, but you claim that they, they work very well. Yeah, well, the Prime Minister has delivered uh, almost nothing apart from Brexit and, uh, and Boris bikes. And, yes. And... Uh, Boris, Brexit, I'm not so keen on, but Boris bikes uh, are a fantastic A thing of great beauty. Well, well, we'll come on to that in a moment. Let us first, though, hear from Boris Johnson, because he was at the United Nations last night, making rather an interesting speech about why the world needs to grow up. And when Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog, sang, it's not easy being green. You remember that one? I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. It is easy. It's not only easy, it's lucrative, and it's right to be green. He, although he was also un unnecessarily rude to Miss Piggy, I thought, uh, Kermit the Frog. But it is easy uh, to be green. We have the technology, as we used to say when I was a, when I was a kid. We can do it. We have, so, so in 40 days' time, we have the choice before us. I'm not sure Kermit's one of those people you can insult, really. I mean, he's one of those people that's universally loved. I don't know if the Muppets have ever been mentioned in the chamber of the United Nations before. Um, it was a very odd speech, wasn't it? It's very peculiar. Very, very Boris Johnson. Yeah. Um, uh, and very green, as, as you say. I mean, it could have been written by, uh, well, either Carrie Johnson mm. or, or could have been written by Greenpeace. I mean, yeah. it was... Uh, it was very much a lecture to the world mm. about uh, getting its act together. Um, you know, we we humans are only around here for uh, for a million years if we're if we're an average ma yeah. mammalian species, yes. as he put it at the start of his speech. I mean, it really was quite sort of apocalyptic right. in that sense. I mean, I suppose he would say if he was here that he's always been a bit green. I mean, we're yes. talking about Boris Bikes. I mean, he introduced them when he was mayor of London. He was quite environmentally sort of sound, if you want to use that word. Yeah. So it's not as if he's had a massive road to Damascus conversion. But well, he does. But he does seem that he has admitted that he was a. You know, he has written columns for the Daily Telegraph quite recently, mm. uh, making fun of windmills yeah. and uh, and and climate change activism generally. Yeah. So you know, although he has always been a conservative green, and he was a big mate with, uh, with uh, Jack, uh, Zach uh, Goldsmith. Jack Goldsmith, yeah. Um, he he's 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 just Boris Johnson. Yeah. He believes whatever whatever yeah, but, the fashion right. well, is well, at the moment. Well, then the question then surely then is why is he so fanatical about it? Because he really does now seem to be fanatical about it. He wants to be the world leader. Yeah. He's got this climate change conference coming up in November. Yeah. What's it all about? Well, that you just you just put your finger on it there, Mike. He wants to be the world leader. Right. He wants to be world king. Right. And if you're a world, if you're the world king, you've got to have some big um, sort of kingly project. To, it's the old uh, legacy thing, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I mean, the whole point of being prime minister is to change things and to do stuff. And, uh, you know, greenery is, is, is good stuff to do we old in, in many people's Isn't minds. it also to do with doing what you were elected to do, which this is not, right? He was elected to um, cut down on uh, illegal immigration. He was elected to strengthen the borders. He was elected to build uh, back up in the north of England what had been neglected before. Yeah. Um, bring, you know, labour costs um, back up so that people get paid a proper living wage. All of those things that people thought they voted him in for. Yeah. 
Um, and he's now suddenly turned into, you know, the jolly green giant. <laughs> well, there was an awful lot of climate change stuff in the manifesto as well. And his his vision, I mean, which he, which which he put to the people in 2019 was to was to level up mm. um, the, the north by uh, creating jobs, building wind turbines and, yeah. and, and, and things like that. I mean, he's. You know, he's trying to combine the two. Yes, but at the very point at which he was meeting up with Joe Biden at the UN a couple of days ago, uh, we were suddenly in an energy crisis yes, because the wind turbines <laughs> don't produce enough energy for us to actually make sure that we've got enough electricity to last us through the winter. Well, exactly. Uh, thus proving Kermit the Frog right. Yes. It's not easy being green. It's it's extremely expensive. It's, a, it's very expensive uh, being and green. And a lot of people are not going to like it one little bit. No. And in fact, as ever, whenever you ask people that question, I know you're a big fan of uh, opinion polls. If you ask them if they <laughs> want to save the planet they'll go yeah. oh yes please oh, yeah. very much so yes 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 uh, how much would you be prepared to pay uh, oh not so much thank you very much indeed well, so you know the idea that we're all going to get these uh, these new heating systems which cost 18,000 quid forget well, about it electric cars no thank you there's not enough places to charge them there's not enough electricity to to fill to fuel them um no we've had this conversation before i think ele- electric electric cars are one thing that people will buy if they get cause cheaper. Because they're a bit swish. If they once... get, yeah, but people don't always want something that's a bit swish. I mean, it's all very well if you live in Putney and you think, <laughs> oh, do you know what? I think we'll get rid of the Range Rover and we'll get a nice electric Tesla. That's fine. Very swish. But no, you know, if you live in sort of Hartlepool and you need a van to drive around and do your business yeah. and there isn't an electric van for sale for less than 75 grand. And there are no not, charging points. You're Absolutely. not buying, you're no. not buying but, it. But, but that will change. I mean, you could see how that will change. But uh, but there will still be very difficult choices to be made about uh, about home heating. And yeah. You're absolutely right. And yeah. That, you know, it, well, look at the Insulate Britain problem, right? We, 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 we're told that they want us to insulate 29 million homes in Britain. It turns yeah. out that at least half of those homes aren't insulatable no. because they're not constructed in such a way that you can insulate them. No, that's right. I mean, the, you know, the really nice homes that uh, people actually want to live in, mm. you know, Victorian and... Uh, uh, There's no cavity 1930s. wall. Yeah, I mean those those are those those are hard to insulate. Mm, exactly right. So I mean, he comes back from the US. I mean, he's got a big um, tick in my book for getting the, uh, the 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 travel corridor opened up. Even though I suspect it had nothing to do with him, since he was briefing journalists on the way over that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think it was just a bit of a surprise <laughs> from Joe a, Biden. Bit of I think, good luck. I think Joe Biden treated him quite badly. It was a very bizarre move. I saw yesterday. I don't know if you saw it, where all the um, journalists were, were hoofed out of the room. Well, in, shouted in, out in of the, the middle room. in the middle of Boris trying to say something about the Northern Ireland Protocol and it turns out because they didn't like the fact that he'd asked individual journalists to start asking questions. Right, because the because the American style is for all the journalists just to shout at once. Right, a ridiculous yes. way of doing business. But anyway, it was it was very noisy and chaotic, and and, and a lot of yeah. the British press pack were had their noses put out of yes. joint, which will do Boris uh, Johnson no good at all. No, it won't. But also, I thought Biden was quite rude, wasn't he? Because he made it very clear that one, there's no trade deal that he can do in any way, shape, or form, which is quick. Uh, he also made it clear that he wasn't happy about the Northern Ireland situation. Yeah. Um, and you know, to me, if you're going to invite somebody into the White House, why? Why would you invite them in just to show off that you're bigger and stronger than they are? Well, to show to show off that Unless you're bigger you're and really, stronger than really, they are. Unless you're really, really, really insecure. Well, yeah, but uh, the but point is, you could see it written on on Boris Johnson's face. He he loved being in the White House. He wanted yeah. to be there, mm. uh, and he was prepared to, uh, to to take a bit of a bit of a knock in. Uh, well, no in doubt he'll he, no doubt he will. By the time he's got back here, he'll turn it into a massive triumph. Maybe. Yeah, well, no, no no question about that. But you're absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, Joe Biden wasn't saying anything new about Northern Ireland, and he wasn't saying anything new about trade. Really, I mean, we 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 know that trade the, the trade deal is not a priority for mm. for the president. And anyway, even if Donald Trump had wanted to do 
it instantly. He'd have to get it through Congress, yes. which, is, which is not Yeah, but easy. it's the optics like everything else. I mean, Donald Trump used to, used to talk a very good game and then quite often nothing would actually happen. Yeah. Um, same with every other president that's ever been. But it's the way that he did it, I think, that seemed to me to be slightly sort of nippy. Yes, if you but, like. uh, but as long as as long as Joe Biden is prepared to do his bit to make the uh, to make the uh, climate change summit in Glasgow in November a success, mm. then uh, then I think Boris Johnson's got what he wants. But that's the trouble, isn't it? I mean, this is the other smoke and mirrors aspect of this green agenda is that making the COP twenty six summit a success is all about people promising things which they can't deliver. <laughs> well, well, so well, all well, you got to do is say, oh, of course, yeah, we'll get to net zero by uh, twenty thirty five. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. There's a tick. Uh, it's a success. Well, yeah. it's not, is it? No, but that's a start. I mean, that's that, that's how you that's how you move these international. Processes. But that's like you being in a marriage, to... though. And I've been in one uh, in which you get asked, <laughs> "Will you promise never to go out with any other women?" And you, yeah, of course, absolutely. I will never take any other women out for dinner. Uh, and that's the end of that. It a means very nothing. Johnsonian analogy. It means nothing. Like. Well, yeah, but it means nothing. He was it? talking about the French in those terms about how <laughs> how how you sometimes put off having these difficult conversations. Yes. About, about how you're going to ditch their submarine yeah. contract. I mean, I, I'm, um, I, the, one, the one highlight of my week has been the uh, the absolute fury which has engulfed um, the presidential palace that is inhabited by Emmanuel Macron, who's, who hates Britain so much that he didn't, he wouldn't even give us the time of day to pull the ambassador out. He no. took, took them only out of Australia and America, left the one and here. Left the one here as an insult. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was brilliant. It was. That was very, very French. Yeah. Uh, and Boris Johnson got his own back by uh, telling, uh, telling Macron to Prenet and Yes, grip. in his franglais. Uh, which, uh, Very which, funny, actually, that was. Well, I, th- I, I thought so, but I think most people didn't. Well, I don't care about most people. I mean, I think we need a, 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 a bit of a laugh in this, the dark, these dark times. And I mean, you expect, I mean, Boris is definitely on quite good form at the moment. Whether you like him or not, and I know a lot of people listening to this have now gone very much against him because they don't like what he's been doing yeah. with regards to COVID, with regards to the restrictions and all of that. Um, but in the end, this is why he was elected. Well, absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't get uh, you wouldn't get Theresa May. No, can you uh, doing Franglais? No, uh, on a on a US trip. I mean, uh, it it does. I think it lightens it lightens the day. For, I think for it some does. And you know what I found interesting yesterday? I don't know if you noticed this, and I don't even know if I'm absolutely correct, but I think I am. There was no mention of COVID yesterday in Prime Minister's questions, which was definitely, I thought, very much invigorated uh, by the presence of Angela Rayner, yeah. um, who I'm not a fan of, but who I thought did very well. Well, very vaudeville, isn't she? I yeah. Mean, you're, you're no, quite, she's quite, quite a fun. good entertainer. She's great fun. I mean, she's blocked me on Twitter, so I mean, I have oh. absolutely no reason to support her. But I mean, what a what a what a pleasant change to have somebody who's a bit animated rather than old Keir Starmer with his dreaded blue suit well, and she's, she straight is, face. She's Labour's equivalent of Boris Johnson. Yeah, she's um, you know she uses colourful language. Language. Uh, she enjoys a bit of a, a, a political dust up. Yes. Uh, and she's not too too um, bothered about facts. No. She had a go at, uh, at Dominic <laughs> Raab for, for living in a taxpayer funded mansion. Yes, it turns and out. It turns out it wasn't. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the point was made, and it doesn't really matter, I think, to most people whether or not it's paid for by the public no, purse. The exactly. fact is, it's got 100 rooms. And what the living, hell are you doing living, living in luxury? It? Yeah. But if, if, if there were to be a Labour government, are we saying that Angela Rayner wouldn't, uh, wouldn't ever go and stay in the evening? Well, we know she only travels first class because she keeps claiming back the ticket price. Uh, and we know that she also likes to. Have, a pair of very expensive uh, iPad, uh, sorry, AirPods. E- e- AirPods from from Apple, which cost two hundred fifty quid. So I mean, she's not shy in uh, spending some money on a pair of good, decent pair of shoes as well. But the point is, is well, that she, she doesn't ask the taxpayer to pay for her shoes. To be fair, well, I don't know about that. I mean, she may well have charged them somewhere, some way, shape or form. I mean, her expenses are quite high. But I mean, the thing is, is that you know, if I was in the Labour Party today, I'd be going, shouldn't she be the leader? 
Uh, well, some people, some people might. Yeah. Um, but uh, we've seen that uh, that Keir Starmer is trying to change the rules to make it harder to uh, get rid of him. So yes, nobody can quite understand. That. I was listening to a debate yesterday on on on, uh, on the radio, and nobody can really understand why he's doing it at this particular time when he's well, not. When he's you've not got to do it early. When he's not particularly popular. Um, but he's worried that he, be- he could become so unpopular that they neglect somebody else. So he's now making it more difficult for them to elect somebody else. Well, it's not a good look, is it? No, it isn't. Uh, but I think he's he he's prepared to put up with a bit of uh, mockery um, in the meantime. Because mm. I think what's really important to him actually is not the leadership rule changes. It's the uh, it, it's making it harder for people to deselect Labour MPs. Yes, he wants to change those rules. So that Labour MPs are not looking over their shoulder at mm. their uh, at their local activists all the time, because he regards that as a you know terrible distraction. And, but once and, again, it's the Labour Party eating itself, isn't it? Because I see all no. The but time. if he can free Labour MPs from from eating themselves and from having to appease their their local parties all the time, then they can turn outwards and and, and yes. And, but if he keeps to the blocking, people, that's his argument. That's his argument. Yes. But if he keeps blocking the left from gaining any kind of access to power, they'll find some other way, won't they? No. Well, you yeah, think they're just going to go away? You think the left no, or the Labour Party are finished? They'll, they'll, they'll stay. They'll stay there and they'll make a noise on the fringe. But uh, I mean, I saw Ken Loach was trending yesterday because once again he was having a go at Keir Starmer and saying what a useless idiot he was. But Ken Loach, well, as far as I know, has been kicked out of the party, hasn't he? Well, he has. And the more more people like Ken Loach have a go at Keir Starmer, I think the better it is. It draws, draws yes, attention Yes, but isn't to the it difficult? He's not, he's not I mean, I know that people. I know that you hearken back to the, those heady, halcyon days of the Blair Brown leadership uh, scenario. <laughs> But there isn't well, the anybody. Leadership there scenario, isn't anybody yes. that well. Yeah, there isn't anybody that good. I'm afraid. You know, Keir Starmer isn't Tony Blair. No, um, but he's not anywhere close to being Tony Blair, and he certainly doesn't have the kind of heavyweight backing of people like whether you like him or not. And I'm saying this to the audience because they'll be cringing currently, hiding under the sofa when I mention <laughs> the Prince of Darkness, Peter Mandelson, who's very kindly offered his services again. Um, they, you know, whatever you say about all those guys, they were clever people. Yes, and he doesn't have anyone like that. No, I mean I think that is a problem, but I mean at least you know if you if you don't have um, people like that, if you don't have Tony Blair's charisma and his his political skill and mm. judgment, um, at least you can follow the uh, follow the eternal Blairite truth, yes. which is that you've got to um, appeal to the voters who who voted Tory last time, yeah. uh, and that means harping on about patriotism and uh, and security. Uh, and all the things that people actually care about, as opposed but, and, and to also, the, and, the and also jobs, agenda. and also jobs, and yes. money, and 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 security. And I mean, yeah. I think the energy situation is going to be a big problem for Boris Johnson. Well, as well. I've read all. Um, I think it's twelve thousand one hundred words, actually, of, of Keir Starmer. You're the first person I've met that's read and, it, and it is full of of all that stuff. It is all is about it? jobs and uh, and security okay. and and places that people want to stay in. They want to see their high all streets. Right. Well, restored. let me let me ask you to stop there for a moment because we're going to just take a little break and I'll, I'll have you come back and sum up those 12,050 or whatever words. Uh, he's obviously run out of the things to say then, hasn't he? Because he was meant to be doing 14,000. Um, John Rensel is here. He's with The Independent, of course, Chief Political Commentator. And what is in Keir Starmer's little black book? Uh, we'll find out next on Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray. On Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots going on today. We're going to be talking about Australia coming up. We've also got some very interesting news for you on the front of the uh, um, of the uh, the Wuhan situation because we've got a documentary we're going to be broadcasting to you uh, a little bit later on today, uh, which has been made in Australia by Sky Australia. I'm sitting here with John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at the Independent. He's just admitted, first person who I've met to, has, to have said that they've read the treaties by um, Sir Keir Starmer that he's going to deliver, uh, I think, next Sunday <laughs> afternoon is it well no um, no it, i mean i think his speech is going to be related to it okay know, but i think this is he's a separate, not just going to read the this 12, is a separate initiative word. Oh, okay so so if you were uh, his pr man and he was to sum up the best points of what he's saying what because what, nobody knows what he believes in right nobody no. knows famously what he stands for so what no. would you say having read it he stands for uh, well, what he says he stands for is a contribution society, which is a terrible slogan, but actually quite a, quite a good idea, I think, which is, you know, the kind of society where, you know, you if, if, if you contribute, then you can then you can benefit. Um, well, what so, do you mean he's saying that people who don't pay in shouldn't be getting access to the NHS? Uh, that sort of thing. Really? That, that sort of principle, which I think which I think, uh, you know, resonates quite a lot with uh, with a lot of people certainly a lot of the sort of people that Labour needs to win over at the next yeah. election well right um, and I think that's I mean that's his that's his core argument I mean he's, he sort of says you know the 2010s wasted de- decade uh, the Tories cut back uh, cut back everything and now they're pretending to be to be um, in favour of public spending and public services, but mm. they're not. But they're not really. But they're spending an awful lot of money, though. I mean, that is the thing. You yeah. can't really accuse. This is the trouble. When he falls down at PMQs, I think when he accuses the government of, of, of you know, tightening the belts and austerity and all of that, they've never. I mean, no government has ever spent as much money as this on anything. Well, this is since the, diff- the Second World War. This is the difficulty. Although I think what he's banking on is that Rishi Sunak is going to try to be uh, retrenching mm. the public finances over the next few years before the before the general election. Yeah. And then, you know, when, when it comes to the general election, um, I think Keir Starmer's hoping that people will say, well, you know, we've, we've blown 400 billion uh, on uh, on the coronavirus. What have we got to show for yeah. it? Yeah, well, exactly right. And as we get into the winter, and uh, never mind uh, whatever the COVID crisis may be, although I see from this morning's newspapers that it's now being dismissed as nothing more than a cold by the chief uh, vaccine by... man from Oxford. Um, but I think the, 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 the energy crisis is going to be huge, I think, for, for an awful lot of people. Because even before this, I mean, I was banging on about uh, Ofgem about a month ago. Yes. Because everybody's everybody's bills were going to be going up in October anyway. Anyway, and absolutely. For, and for Paul Scully to be doing the rounds this morning saying, oh, well, don't worry, the price cap's keeping prices down. I mean, is he living in the real world? Because well, nobody's cap is, is, is fitting, as far as I can see. And I know from my own situation, um, we're looking at about a 33% increase. From this year to next year. Yeah, no, I mean it is. I mean, that's, and a lot of people can't afford that. And you know, a lot of people are praying for a mild, uh, a mild winter. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I mean, if 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 it's a cold winter, then that is going to be. Or it's hot water bottles all around. Very very expensive. Yeah, and I um, think there and, can be. I mean, these are the kind of things I think. I don't know about you, John, but these are the kind of things I think that affect political parties and governments because absolutely. these are things that affect ordinary people who haven't got a lot of money, um, and, the un- and, and the ruling classes simply don't understand. Well, and, uh, you know, it's, it's only one part of a, of, of a wider picture of, of, of rising prices um, caused by all these yes. uh, global shortages. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I was talking to Ben Habib yesterday about this, and he said, you know, England and the UK now has become a country of high taxes, high prices. There's almost no place in the world that is as expensive for an awful lot of what we do yeah. uh, as Britain is. Yeah, but, it's, but it's going to get worse over the winter yeah. because uh, because prices are going to, going to keep going yeah. up. And uh, and at the same time, you know, universal credit is going to, going to be cut. I mean, in the, 
I mean, in a sense, I think the, the government could have survived that if it was on its own. Yeah. Uh, because people don't really care. I mean, right. They say they care about welfare, but they don't. They don't. Unless really. you're on it, you don't um, care. Well, exactly. Yeah. But if it, if it is combined with prices going up, taxes going up, mm. um, and people feeling squeezed, and, and the cost and the of NH- living becoming and, hugely and the, expensive, the NHS becoming almost inaccessible. Yes. Uh, which is which, which is another th- dangerous thing for for Boris Johnson mm. is is the tabloid newspapers are, are, are latching onto this thing about not being able to see your GP. Yeah. Um, I well, mean, we've been doing it that, for months. They finally caught up with yeah, us. Well, all, but all of that over the winter, I think, cre- could create a really yeah. difficult political and environment. And every time he pops his head up above the parapet and starts talking about K- going Kermit green the Frog and Kermit the Frog <laughs> was wrong, I think that could be a problem for him. Yes, I think I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And mm. I, I think I think we could be heading for a very diff- different political situation mm. over the winter. Yeah, very interesting. Do you think it could be as bad... Uh, for Boris as the, as to make it possible for him to leave or to make it possible for him to be shunted out in some way. No, I don't. Uh, that seems that seems unlikely. I mean, the one thing about Boris Johnson that we do know is he's a remarkable survivor. Oh, he really, is. really bouncy, sort of flexible politician yeah. who doesn't believe in anything is capable of adjusting his his, his political position mm. to to meet any eventuality. Yeah. So I think that. I, I, but but that said, you've got to remember that you know towards the end of uh, 2020 when he wasn't handling the coronavirus. Uh, pandemic very well. Uh, there were a lot of Tory MPs very upset with him, and they were they were talking about uh, you know asking for a, a leadership mm. election. I mean, it was pie in the sky. Uh, it was it wasn't going to happen. But the fact that they were talking about it just yeah. indicates that you know these things can can happen very suddenly. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, John, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Good luck getting back on the old Boris bike. Hopefully, it works as well going as it did coming, <laughs> as you say. And uh, John Ransom will be back again with us, I'm sure, soon enough. Chief political commentator at the Independent, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's though talk now about the uh, maniacs from Insulate Britain with Trevor Kavanagh, political columnist, of course, at the Sun. Uh, because this morning on the front page of the Sun. Uh, we find out that one of the guys who's been sitting on the M25 uh, stopping traffic is an eco-hypocrite, right? This guy, uh, Upper Crusty, is the headline. Joshua Smith, 28 years old, claims to be a brickie, actually owns an entire empire of property, none of which is, guess what, properly insulated. Brilliant. Uh, Trevor, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Um, it's a great story, this, but it comes as no surprise to me because whenever you look to these uh, Extinction Rebellion stroke insulate Britain types, they always turn out to be terribly middle class, usually quite well off, and probably uh, in, uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the guise of uh, having very wealthy parents. And you could add mildly bonkers. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think their, their campaign is completely flawed from beginning to end, and here they are claiming that they're trying to save the planet by um, stopping global warming and insulating houses and so on. And at the same time, they're stopping hundreds of thousands of motor cars, which are belching out fumes, sitting stationary on the motorway. No, exactly right. And that is the big problem, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we've got this injunction now, which which amounts to them not being allowed to uh, any longer sit down on the M25. But it doesn't stop them from doing it anywhere else. No, and I mean, I honestly wonder whether we'll see anyone taken to court or still uh, more preferable than taken to jail uh, by breaking this rule. I think that this is just an attempt to uh, look as if we're doing something while actually nothing will happen. We are terrified of all of these protesters. Whatever cause they seem to espouse, we buckle and they they win. And I I think this is just going to carry on with them uh, being able to stick two fingers up at the general public who are paying their, um, often their wages. 
Well, exactly right. And so, I mean, yesterday they kind of shoved two fingers up to Pretty Patel because as soon as the injunction result came out, they found themselves in Whitehall sitting down outside of her office, basically, and proving that actually they can do whatever they want. Yes, and uh, I mean that's that's the it's the same with uh, the cross-channel migrants. Their 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 campaign for them to be basically allowed free movement of uh, travel across Europe and then across the Channel and into Britain, it's the same sort of protester, the same sort of human rights activists who are standing there and telling the rest of the public, the whole population of Britain, how they should think and how they should behave. And I think that increasingly this is becoming intolerable. And the government is looking extremely limp-wristed in that it doesn't do anything. It, it talks about what it might do, but it never actually takes action. And so you've got people going about their business, people often in a, a great rush, great urgency, sometimes on a life or death appointment with doctors or hospitals, being held up in traffic for hours at a stretch. It's just intolerable. And I think that in the end, this is going to be a backlash against the government. Yeah, I think so, because it, rather like the uh, the problem that Pretty Patel hasn't solved uh, on the, on the sort of south coast of England with the dinghies and the illegal migrants coming over, if she can't solve this one, I mean, could this then be the death knell for her? Because she's very popular in the party, we know that. But um, if she has two kind of major failures where she can't stop these maniacs from sitting down on roads around the country and she can't stop people arriving on our shores, hundreds of people at a time, um, you know, what's the point of her? Well, I, I don't think there's any question of her going because this actually leads right to the top of the government. This is as much Boris Johnson and his view of this particular protest as it is about Pretty Patel. There are plenty of laws, Mike, already in existence. They don't need new ones. It cannot possibly be other than illegal to block a motorway and to hold up the lawful progress of the entire population wanting to use it. So. Yes. They don't need laws. They can send in the police today or preferably last week. Well, that's right. And what is the point, by the way, of Boris Johnson standing around at the UN um, mentioning the Muppets, talking about Kermit the Frog, uh, saying that, you know, we must absolutely lead the world in changing everything over to green energy while this is going on in the background? And he doesn't really seem to be um, terribly anti these demonstrators. No, I think that unfortunately he, he probably sympathises with them and sees them as being perhaps the battering ram that's going to make the rest of us wake up and start spending a huge amount of money uh, trying to save the planet in taxes and in reforms on heating, the cost of uh, fuel bills. Uh, all of these things are going to come home to bite us in the very near future. In fact, at the worst possible time in midwinter or around Christmas. Yeah, well, that's the other question I was going to ask you, Trevor, is how serious and how big do you think this energy crisis is going to become for Boris Johnson? Because, you know, like all things that affect governments in massive ways, it's normally something relatively um, benign, if you like, but which becomes huge because of the fact that it affects so many people. It, it is, and I think this is just the beginning. We haven't seen anything yet. It's quite possible that someone is rather vindictive as uh, Vladimir Putin, who has the whole of Europe and its gas supplies by the short and curlies, is going to keep squeezing because uh, he's got nothing to lose. Oil prices are going up. That's good for him anyway. Uh, gas prices are going up too. And uh, so he's got nothing to lose. But the thing is, we've been talking about this for as long as I've been covering politics. Mm. The, the, the risk of uh, fuel poverty 
uh, the, the fact that we're right at the tail end across Europe of the gas pipeline from Russia, which has been introduced thanks to Germany, um, we are dependent on them on a just-in-time basis. There's no way we can suddenly provide before Christmas or where before January when winter really sets in the sort of uh, provision of energy supplies that will get us through this, I don't think. No, I think that is the difficulty. But genuinely, people are amazed at how much their pri or their prices are going up. Paul Scully's been going around this morning telling anybody that will listen that the energy cap uh, on prices is keeping prices down. Well, that's plainly not true. I mean, I myself can attest to the fact that, that my energy prices have gone up, my energy bill's gone up by about a third um, in the last two months. Yes, and I suspect that that's just the beginning, as I say. I mean, you, you need to be as old as me to remember the oil crisis of the 1970s when... OPEC decided to withhold their oil supplies mm. and the whole world went into virtual economic paralysis as a result and this could easily escalate into that sort of crisis. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Trevor, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Trevor Kavanaugh, political columnist at The Sun. We have uh, on the horizon looming a couple of crises, it would seem to me. Uh, yes, in fact, there won't be anything to worry about uh, with the supply of food. There won't be anything to worry about uh, with the supply of CO2 because that would appear to have been fixed for the short term at least. Uh, what we will be worried about, though, is how much money people are going to be forced to pay for their energy how much money people are being asked to pay for their energy, because at the moment, nobody really is very happy with their electricity and their gas bills because they are going through the roof. Coming up, uh, we're going to take your calls on that. We're also going to talk to you, Switch, about what you can do if there is a problem that you can't fix. If, for example, the supplier of your energy has gone bust, what are you supposed to do then? If you're forced onto a more expensive tariff, what are you supposed to do then? We want to hear from you. We want to hear your stories because only by sharing those can we all learn something and get on better. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we've been talking an awful lot in the last few days about the energy crisis. We've got front page of the Daily Mail this morning saying Britain faces a winter of woe. Uh, We've got one and a half million households facing a rise in energy bills on the front uh, of the Times. Uh, We've just been hearing from Kwasi Kwarteng uh, in the House of Commons that uh, failing energy companies will not be bailed out by the government, uh, which I think is a good thing. But let us talk now uh, to Justina Milkianita, policy expert at U-Switch. Because an awful lot of people have come to us uh, to say that they've got problems with companies going bust. They've got problems with um, energy suppliers that they're now being forced to take energy from. They're not quite sure what they can do about that. So let's find out uh, what your rights are, what you can do uh, and what the uh, landscape and the environment is going to look like over the course of this winter. Justina, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, obviously, it's quite a difficult time for people. We were we were already aware that prices were going to rise quite substantially in October anyway, because Ofgem had warned of that. Um, but what can people do as customers of any particular individual energy company? Because Paul Scully, the uh, the the business secretary um, in the government, has said that the energy cap is keeping prices low, but prices are going through the roof, aren't they? So the prices of the variable tariff, you're, you are right that they are increasing next week as per um, of Jim's review of the price cap. But after that, as the um, uh, business secretary has said uh, this week, it, they're not going to rise. The government is sticking with the price cap and the, those rates are going to stay the same until at least the 1st of April. Uh, the prices of fixed tariffs might be rising, not the ones that customers are currently on, but likely the new ones, mm. purely because of the cost of energy to buy for suppliers. OK, so if you, for example, are stuck in a situation where your energy supplier is one of those small companies that's gone bust um, and you then get sort of moved on to another tariff with another company that you weren't really given the choice about, what can you do in that situation? So you absolutely are free to switch. So the key thing is, is so first of all, if your supplier does go bust and uh, you are being moved, the best advice is to carry on with the move because that will make sure that your credit balances that you have built up during the summer are fully protected. Um, and once that move is complete, whichever tariff you're being put on will not have any exit fees. So exit fees are usually the thing that stops customers from switching mm. um, because of the process, because the customers did not pick that supplier, they are free to switch. I guess in the current climate, the key thing is to caution customers about what deals are available out there. Have a look at what is actually being offered. It might be the best tariff available that you're being put on. Um, so so it's the best thing to do is just to be vigilant. Yes. And as far as understanding the tariffs, I mean, a lot of people say to me, it's fine if you're very commensurate with the internet and you've got a computer and you can log on and you can check things online and you can compare prices and you can look at your website, uswitch.com. But if you're an elderly person and you don't really have access to all of that stuff, what can they do? Yes, it, it is very difficult, especially because when you see the news and so many information, it could be incredibly worrying. I guess the best thing to do is, first of all, try speaking with your supplier. And if you're worried, they might be able to find a better deal for you that is available to fix there. There are also charities that could uh, 
uh, you could speak to as well, um, just to have a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, people that are offering phone numbers. So you can phone in, for example, at Usage, we have a phone number and you, you're free to talk to our customer service as well. Okay, that would be helpful. And as far as the, uh, the number of companies that seem to be not able to continue trading at the moment, is that causing you guys an awful lot of uh, anxiety? Are you Are you finding a lot of people coming to you at the moment? Well, people need reassurance, and what we're trying to do is just to provide that. Um, it is quite interesting uh, being you switch uh, and kind of saying to customers, today may not be the best day to switch, but we're trying to do the right thing by the customers and are telling the customers what the best thing to do and provide that reassurance. Mm. Um, what we are also doing is asking customers to sign up to our newsletter because then when the best deals do come back, we can let them know. Okay. And as far as looking into the small print of, uh, of various different deals that are being offered, are there ones which are which sort of lock you in for a period of time, which are cheaper? What's your kind of recommendation for individual um, uh, sort of consumers as to what, what they should be looking out for? It is, it is quite tricky to uh, let to kind of decide for every individual consumer yeah. what would be the best thing to do. I guess at the moment, the best thing to do is kind of have a look around what's your priorities. So a lot of customers might be looking at how to survive this winter. If they're looking at how to survive with this winter, there might be the best thing to do is to stay on the price cap tariff, the variable tariff, because the, right, the prices may not rise until 1st of April. However, if your priority is uh, longer term, if you're worried about what the prices are going to do in April, or you're worried that your tariff, fixed tariff is ending and you want to fix again, have a look at um, your whether there is a fixed deal that you can switch to and lock those prices in. If you're worried about the other option is to take a fix with no exit fees. There's very few of them, but there are those around. Yeah. They will let you leave later on as well when the prices might go down. Okay. Um, so uh, the best advice really is is just to sort of not panic, I suppose. Um, if you are finding it difficult to pay, what are your options there? So the first thing to do if you're finding it difficult to pay is talk to your supplier. They might be able to put you on a payment plan. They might be able to offer you further advice. There are some uh, uh, additional protections available, for example, warm home discount that some customers might be eligible for and suppliers are administering that. There's obviously further questions about whether that's sufficient and they should be directed at the government. But at the moment, the two best things to do is talk to your supplier and see if you're eligible for warm home discount. OK, brilliant stuff. Thank you very much indeed. That's Justina Milkianita, policy expert at uswitch.com. If you are having difficulties, if you are having problems, you know what to do. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number, because quite frankly, uh, this is going to be with us for a long time. Uh, we are going to be trying to bring you pieces of advice every single day as long as the this crisis is ongoing. We are, as I say, seemingly over the short-term problem uh, of not having enough CO2. Uh, we are seemingly over the problem uh, of not having enough gas or running out of any kind of energy uh, that would be used to heat the home because as the nights get colder, as the nights get darker, uh, we are going to be using more electricity and so we are going to be needing more electricity suppliers and it's going to have to come to the point, surely, uh, whereby uh, actually the prices go down rather than up. But we want, want to help you as much as we can. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Now, if like me, you've never been to Australia, but you know an awful lot of people who have lived there and who have moved there and who are from there, uh, you always have an idea of this rather idyllic, uh, massive continental island, uh, which is very, very hot in the middle and has got some very, very nice parts of the shoreline where everybody lives. You think of um, all sorts of fantastic Australian movies that you might have watched. You think of um, eating um, seafood, watching this, the uh, sitting by the Sydney Harbour Bridge. You think of the Sydney Opera House. You think of um, the, what, the Grand Prix in Melbourne. You think of the tennis as well. Uh, you think of all manner of nice things about Australia. But lately... The image of Australia has been battered and bruised and tarnished, I would say, by the incredibly authoritarian stance that the governments of each individual state appear to have taken. Let's talk to Helen Dale, writer, lawyer, political commentator, expat, of course, from Australia, um, to see what she makes of it all. Helen, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well indeed. Um, You know, I could have been mistaken here, but I always used to see Australia as this kind of land of the free, a sort of a, 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 you know, sort of upside down version of America where everybody was pretty relaxed. Everybody was pretty laid back. Everybody enjoyed their lives. They went swimming. They had Barbies on the beach at Christmas. And, you know, it was all very hail fellow well met. Every Australian I've ever met has been a very easygoing individual. Um, I can't quite believe what I'm seeing at the moment. There are distinct differences across the states, and it's very important to remember that the really authoritarian stuff you're seeing and the use of rubber bullets and also the involvement of the trade union movement, which I'll talk a bit about later because it's very distinctively Australian, is in Victoria. Victoria has had 235 days of lockdown. That is more than any other city anywhere in the developed world, including London and Paris. Right. And to give you an idea of how serious this is, significant other parts of Australia have either had no lockdown at all or a maximum of three days, Mm. including entire cities like Perth. Right. So it's very concentrated. These problems are of authoritarianism in Victoria. Right. That said, overall, Australia is a more authoritarian country, far more so than the United States or than the UK. And part of the reason why the various governments, whether it's the federal government in Canberra or the state governments in Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne or Perth or Adelaide, get away with the authoritarianism is because the country has historically, and with the exception of Victoria now, been extremely well governed, Mm. very efficiently governed, not corrupt, the freest and fairest elections in the world, uh, those sorts of things, very little economic hardship. Even even now, the economic hardship is concentrated largely in Victoria, and it's still considerably less than what we've seen in the UK. Mm. Australia had no fallout from the global financial crisis, for example. What economists call the great moderation just continued there. So it's a very... Remember the federalism, and now I need to to come back to what is happening in Victoria. Mm. Victoria had the quarantine crisis last year that the rest of the country didn't. And because it's a federal system, they were able to close the borders between Victoria and the, the two border states, which are New South Wales to the north and South Australia to the west. They closed the borders. So there wasn't overspill into New South Wales Mm. or into South Australia. And when you say the quarantine crisis, do you mean that they instituted a quarantine? All the states instituted a quarantine. Victoria's failed. 
And so COVID, and this is before the, the Indian or Delta variant, which is much more transmissible, got into the population. And But basically what we had last year only happened in Australia in Victoria. Right. So they're having a long lockdown now, but they've already had a massive long lockdown that the rest of the country didn't experience. Right. Okay, so there's there's that going on in Victoria. And I've mentioned this before on the Independent Republic, but I'll reiterate it again. Victoria is the most badly governed of all the Australian states, regardless of politics. Mm. It suffers from state capacity issues. And this had started to become clear before the pandemic, when there was a crisis in Victoria, an ongoing rolling crisis, where their police and the criminal defence system was revealed to be corrupt in that the police had turned a number of solicitors who were supposed to be acting for particular uh, clients who were accused of involvement in organized crime and it turned out that they were the, the solicitors who were supposed to be of course representing their clients interests that's the whole point of a criminal defense solicitor were in fact passing information to the police and made large numbers of convictions unsafe now that's all that's a very very serious state capacity issue it's extraordinary corruption you'd never even in Queensland, when I was a teenager, when there was an issue of police corruption, it was not this bad. You hadn't corrupted the legal system. It was a problem with the police. Right. So you had that emerged before the pandemic. And then at the time of the pandemic, when the quarantine failed in Melbourne and the rest of the country was fine, it became very clear that Victoria was just very bad at running things in a way that Australians are very unfamiliar with. They tend to trust their governments because their governments are competent and the Victorian government clearly wasn't. And so now you've finished up with its capital city, Melbourne, in the longest lockdown in the developed world. It's only been countries like China or Vietnam that have had longer lockdowns and they're right. authoritarian states. Right. But it does seem so, to have and, got a lot worse lately. I mean, we'll talk about the construction workers in a moment and the unions uh, because of the double vaccines that are being pushed upon an awful lot of people. But, I mean, I'm now continually seeing videos, uh, one that I saw this morning of a police officer just approaching a guy standing uh, on his own or with a group of people hurling him to the ground very violently. Yes. We saw the other footage of the woman being arrested who had a child with her uh, because she was either not wearing a mask or there was some problem. Um, and it was really bad optics and terrible to watch. Victoria and police have got a real problem, um, a real problem with very bad authoritarian behaviour. And some of it, and I'll, I will move on to the trade union mm. now, some of it is to do with wounded pride, I'm afraid, which yeah. is the worst thing you can have in a police force. Right. Now, at the bulk of the anti-lockdown and anti-vaccine mandate protests that you're seeing reported in the British press and with the video footage all over, over Twitter yeah. is being led by members of the CFMEU. That stands for Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union. Now, the CFMEU is a large, powerful, well-resourced left-wing trade union. Mm. Now, the thing is, the important thing to remember, though, because Australian political culture is different, you can have organisations that are very left-wing, that look as left-wing as, say, some of the economic ideas that we associate with Jeremy Corbyn over here. Mm. But where they differ from the likes of, say, Jeremy Corbyn or John McDonnell or people like that is they are not woke. Right. So the CFMEU will be very left-wing. It'll be very pro-redistribution. It will be pro a high minimum wage. It is also pro-restricting... Um, immigration from other countries right. that would compete with the labor 
of working class Australians, which yes. is why the whole phenomenon that existed here of Polish plumbers and so on and so forth just doesn't exist mm. in Australia. And you may have seen interviews with the CFMEU people and they all speak with Australian accents. Yes. And Well, do you know what? I don't. Yeah. Th I think if you cut down in, into the, uh, the actual um, heart and soul of John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn, they are exactly those people. I don't think they are woke at all. I think they just pretended to be uh, for the purposes yes. of staying in power, you know. So Australian unions are quite different. So this anti-lockdown and anti-vaccine mandate protest is being led from the left, yeah. from the CFMEU. Right. However, the union is divided between the membership and some, but not all of the leadership. The, lead, the general secretary is a man called John Setka. And in 2019, once again, before the pandemic, he did what you would expect from a trade union leader. And he endorsed Dan Andrews in his election campaign to be Premier of Victoria. Right. So Setka has been placed in an enormously difficult position. And you may have seen footage of him with a bullhorn trying to talk to the membership in front of the headquarters of the CFMEU. And he was unable to get a word in edgeways and he basically just gave up. Mm. That actually got worse because he tried. He, there are now divides on the board of the union as well. It's not just the mem with the membership in that because he supported Andrews and because before the federal government stepped in, Dan Andrews had been getting into the whole Chinese belt and road arrangements, mm -hmm. which is disliked amongst Australians across the political spectrum. So what finished up happening was John Setka was abused loudly by his own membership and he was called China's female dog. Right. I'm not going to say the exact word because we're before the watershed. Indeed. And he then said, look, our union endorsed Dan Andrews to be Premier of Victoria. And then Dan Andrews was called by the membership of the CFMEU China's female dog. Yeah. So, yeah. This has got become extremely intense. People have become very cranky about it. And what's interesting is that the CFMEU's opposition to the vaccine mandates is not by and large because they're anti-vax. A lot of them are double jabbed. Australia's done that state capacity thing and the vaccine rollout's now going very well in Australia. What they don't like is the compulsion right. and the idea, and this has been an issue in the trade union movement in Australia for a very long time, that inspectors can come in and start checking the papers of construction workers yeah. and employees. That's been an issue in, this, in the union movement and partly that issue of the government getting too overweening in its attempt to control the trade unions, wanting inspectors to go onto building sites this contributed to John Howard's loss at the 2007 right. federal election. Well, I saw, I saw, I think it was either a news report or a documentary about several uh, construction workers being sent home after these characters turned up and found that they didn't have the right papers. And so they weren't able to even do a job for that particular day and they weren't able yes. to make any money. I find it astonishing, though, Helen, that if this is only happening in Victoria, why is it that the rest of the country, uh, or perhaps the national government, isn't saying to Victoria, what the hell do you think you're doing? Because it's, surely it's a human rights issue. If you start to fire rubber bullets at people who are genuinely demonstrating uh, with their democratic right to demonstrate, and you're telling people they can't work unless they've got vaccinations, I mean, surely that goes against... I know it's a, it's a, a, a federal system you talk about, uh, and they've got their individual states there, but surely, to heavens, they must have a national policy on this kind of stuff. Well, this is another thing that another reason, and I wrote an article last year for Standpoint about this, which I'll tweet after I've, I've finished the spot with you. Um, Australia has no entrenched human rights protections. Mm. And in fact, the only state that has a full panoply of what we would consider the equivalent of the European Convention on Human Rights yeah. is actually 
Victoria. The other states don't have it. Um, but this is the problem with human rights legislation. They tend to be vehicles for, for, for left-wing identity politics. and They don't actually protect civil liberties particularly effectively at all. Mm. Um, and that is clearly what has happened in Victoria. But the root of Victoria's problems is it's just badly governed. Yeah. And there is the thing, because the Victorian government is Labour and the federal government in Canberra is the Liberal National Coalition. So they're the two main political parties in Australia and the Liberal National Coalition is right wing and the Labor government in Victoria is left wing. There is a sense in which Scott Morrison is just letting Victoria swing in the breeze. And Victorians are aware of this. I mean, I was speaking just before I came on the spot so I could get up to date information about how many days Victoria has been, uh, Melbourne has been in quarantine, that 235 days. I was talking to Professor Katie Barnett at the University of Melbourne, she's a professor there. And she was saying, I'm getting a really, she's been saying for a while, I'm getting a very strong sense that the Federation is weakening because of the rest of Australia, the way it is just turned on Victoria, because Victoria doesn't seem to be able to. Mm. To run itself properly, no. and where's this all going to end, Helen? Because um, it doesn't seem as though the people of, of Victoria are ready to be beaten into submission. It seems to be quite the reverse that some of them are now starting to fight back, and it's all getting a bit nasty. Well, they've put up with it for a very long time because of the extremely lengthy long lockdowns. And Australians are generally law-abiding and quite compliant. It's a relatively authoritarian polity outside of Victoria as well, hence the line about Australians may be the descendants of convicts, but they're also the descendants mm. of their jailers. That is a true thing about, a, about the country. Uh, the, the larrikin figure tends to exist only in the countryside, and, and I would argue perhaps only in the country's literature. And I, I speak from that perspective as, as someone who's won the country's main literary award, the Miles Franklin Award. Mm. The larrikin figure exists in the literature, but it doesn't seem to exist much outside it. Yeah. So this has become what is now, I think, you're seeing in Victoria, particularly with the CFMEU, is people have put up with this for 235 days and they've put up with a very serious stuff up last year in, in Victoria and they're just over it. Mm. They've just had it. And to they make matters worse, they even had an earthquake this week, which I was... Oh, under, they did, I, which is that very which, rare in Australia. Well, I was going to say, I didn't even know they ever had earthquakes in Australia. Well, yes, and Australian houses are built to withstand floods and fire and cyclones, which is what Australians call hurricanes. Yeah. But they're not built to withstand earthquakes because the country has historically not been geologically unstable. Right. So if you get an earthquake that's six on the Richter scale, like that one in regional Victoria was, you will get bits falling off of buildings. And there was one back in the 80s at the Newcastle Workingmen's Club in New South Wales, uh, where the entire building collapsed and people died because Australia just has so few earthquakes. It's one natural disaster the country isn't geared up for. Yes, absolutely right. But it does uh, make you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, a couple of friends of mine here um, in the building from Australia were saying, you know, the world's coming to an end. You know, it's all going horribly wrong in uh, in Melbourne. Uh, and now there's been an earthquake. And I think they're mm. genuinely despairing, a lot of Australians here, and I don't know whether you're one of them, that they may never, ever go back there. I do wonder, I have to say. Um, I'm supposedly one of the people, because I'm a dual national, I have an Australian passport and a British passport. Um, I'm supposedly, and I'm double vaccinated and all of that kind of thing. I'm supposedly one of the people who can get back and then leave again relatively easily, but mm. I just don't trust them. Yeah. I just don't trust anybody. This is the problem. And I will want to see more good faith, not just from the Australian government, but 
the constant rule changing about overseas travel travel and expensive PCR tests here aren't exactly helping either. I mean, it's not conducive to making plans. Well, no, that is the problem. Um, But listen, Helen, we will keep an eye on it and uh, we will be talking to you again same time next week. Helen Dale there uh, with her views on what's going on down under in Australia. She says it's only really happening in Victoria, uh, but it really is pretty ghastly stuff to watch. When you see uh, the way that people are being treated, you see the way that the uh, authoritarian police have more or less turned into a sort of militia uh, and they go around hurling people to the floor punching people, arresting people, locking them up. I mean, it really is extraordinary what's happening down there. Uh, So if you're listening in Australia, we'd love to hear from you as well, because, of course, we know uh, we have a lot of listeners down there, a lot of expats who live there. In fact, I know somebody who just moved there just recently, and I was like, are you sure? And he said, well, you know, it's not that great here. Why not go and live there? Well, I don't think I would. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.